Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. The heartbeat of Saskatchewan is agriculture, and 620 CKRM is proud to be your source for everything ag. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with your host, Jim Smalley. And a good afternoon. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com. And brought to you by Assiniboia Livestock for the most reliable and dependable way to market your livestock. Today, the Saskatchewan government launches a trade mission to Vietnam. The eight-day trade mission will highlight Saskatchewan farm products and resources. We also talk about fertilizer, fertilizer prices. We also have a take. We also take a look at canola production. There's a major conference in Saskatoon, and canola is a key topic. The farm weather is in its usual spot. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnson's Grain, your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection. And brought to you by Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your well water wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Saskatchewan Trade and Export Development Minister Jeremy Harrison leaves today for an eight-day trade mission to Vietnam. Harrison says the goal is to strengthen ties with Vietnam and promote agriculture commodities, natural resources, and innovation. He says the province recently opened an office in Ho Chi Minh City as an effort to diversify exports outside of China. The mission will emphasize Saskatchewan-produced farm products and potash. The province is Vietnam's largest supplier of dry peas, making 47% of all imports of the product to the nation. Year-to-date exports from Saskatchewan to Vietnam are up by 50% in 2022 to $91.7 million. Much of the increase includes rising exports of potash, wood pulp, canola, oil, lentils, and weighing machinery. There's also interest in working together on green energy like carbon capture, small modular reactor research, and rare earth elements. The trade mission returns December 16th. Plenty of changes in fertilizer pricing in the past six months, with some products remaining high, others declining in price. Josh Linville is the director of fertilizer StoneX in the United States. He was a feature speaker last week at the Prairie Oat Growers Convention in Saskatoon. The last time Linville was in Saskatchewan was back in July for Ag in Motion. At the time, there was a lot of concern about the potential for even higher fertilizer prices, considering the war between Russia and Ukraine. However, it turns out values for phosphate, potash, and urea are lower, but the same cannot be said for anhydrous or urea ammonium nitrate. When you look at the global uh, picture, we have seen supplies improve, we've seen demand down. Uh, this thing has changed fairly substantially. Looking at the urea markets, of course, you know, back when we talked five months ago this summer, we had a situation where European production looked like it would never turn back on. You know, natural gas prices were so high priced and, you know, Chinese exports were almost non-existent. There's still questions about Russian exports. There's a lot of questions. Well, since that time, Russian exports have been solid. Chinese exports are picking up. European production has improved because they're now 
natural gas price has gone from $100 in MMBTU down to $30, $40 a ton range. The market has fundamentally shifted. Not only that, we see global demand also making uh, decisions as well. We see farmers that have been pulling back on their decisions for nitrogen because of the high price. That's helped alleviate some of the price. Phosphine potash. This fall run does not so far look like it's been a phenomenal run. We think the farmers are making the decision. I can, I can wait another year. I can mine the soil again. Demand has been down there. So as the market always does, high prices cure high prices. Uh, supplies have been coming back. Demand has been down. Prices have been down uh, for those three, uh, phosphate, potash, and urea, have been down almost constantly since late March, early April. Linville was asked if farmers will do some stockpiling. I don't think anybody wants to stock up just yet. Now, we've got the prepaid period coming up here very shortly, you know, just the same as in Canada as it is in the U.S. By the time we get to the end of December, dry after Christmas, there's going to be some money that needs to be spent because as much as we hate high-priced fertilizer, we hate taxes even more. But it's one of those situations where it sure feels as though some of these values are actually getting low enough on fertilizer and the grain prices are holding that those ratios are actually getting rather attractive. They're not as good as what we've seen the last five years, but they are definitely in the mix. I think that demand is going to be a little sketchier just because I think everybody's seen prices that have been falling and nobody wants to step in front of that trend. But eventually, the demand has got to come. When we look at what our 2023 grain out expectations are, you know, at least in the U.S., we're talking 93 million acres of corn, almost 50 million acres of wheat. That's a big demand period for fertilizer. Same thing in Canada, same thing around the world. There's a lot of demand coming at us. We just have to bridge this next 30 days. Linville discusses urea ammonium nitrate prices. When you look at UAN and anhydrous, especially across North America, there is a limited number of producers, a limited number of manufacturers. And because of that lack of competition, those numbers are able to hold higher. It's not anything where these outfits are working together to keep the price high. It's just fewer parties means fewer opportunities for somebody to just say, I'm going to cut my price significantly and I'm going to go sell something. When you look at urea, when you look at phosphate, you know, these are markets that are producing all around the world. Tons and tons of opportunity for somebody to just step up and say, you know what, I don't like the market as it is. I'm going to sell lower and get in front of it. And that makes somebody else mad and they drop their price. Fewer competitors, fewer producers means prices get a little stickier. Linville says prices remain quite volatile. It's getting more volatile. I, I can tell you the phosphate and potash to a certain extent, we saw some of this coming. Urea did not see it to this extent. This has been a little bit of a shock. I thought it was going to be a while before we started to see prices where they're at today. And unfortunately, when we look at the long-term outlook, especially for nitrogen, now through 2025, and this is something we talked about today in the presentation, You know, we, it takes a long time to build a new world-class facility. So we know what's going to be, be built between now and 2025, and we have a general idea of global demand between now and that same period. Global demand for nitrogen grows faster than global production does. So that means there gets to be less and less extra inventories out there. So if we have a situation where North American production goes down, European production goes down, China stops exports, Russia gets blocked from the world market. These events, while they would already be a major factor, as excess supplies get smaller and smaller and smaller, we have less that we can go call on. These events cause even more volatility and more of a knee-jerk reaction for the marketplace. Josh Linville is the director of fertilizer for StoneX in the United States. He spoke last week following his presentation at the Prairie Oat Growers Convention in... Back to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. This portion is brought to you by Conexus Credit Union. 
Using precision agriculture tools was the topic of a producer panel at the Canola Discovery Forum in Saskatoon yesterday. Carl DeConnick-Smith farms in the Darcy area, not far from Rosetown. He's been an early adopter during his two decades of farming, with practices such as ultra-early seeding to spot spraying, now the autonomous dot platform. He likes the process of integrating new technology. With this dot machine and our original old seeder, just finding what they're each good at. So maybe the Omnipower might be better at seeding canola. So I'm hoping to do slightly more canola, less compaction, not a big tank behind there. So it's just finding those niches and thinking through all of those processes where we can make this stuff fit into our uh, industry. Rob Stone from Davidson says patience is important when working with new technology. You have to be able to exercise a great degree of patience, both for the mental well-being of the people around you and yourself when you're implementing a new process. Because regardless of what you do, there's going to be a great learning curve and there's also going to be a, a significant time of questioning whether you're doing the right thing, whether this the time is worth it in order to accomplish those other things because you want your curiosity satisfied, but you do question yourself at times. An informal survey of farmers found growth mindset, curiosity, and financial incentives were important for early adopters. Saskatoon is playing host to Canola Week with three days of updates on trade markets, research, agronomic issues, and cutting-edge technology. Chris Davison is a vice president of stakeholder relations with the Canola Council of Canada. With new canola crushing plants expected to come online in two to three years, there's increasing pressure to increase yields and oil content. We need research, we need strategy, we need policy, we need analyses, we need money, we need support, we need innovation. There is no single or silver bullet. So our approach is and will continue to be to work and advance in this space on multiple fronts. Speaking of yields and oil content, final numbers for the 2022 crop were also released. Saskatchewan accounted for 51% of canola production with an average yield of 37.8 bushels. That was 0.8% below the five-year average. Alberta had 32% of canola production with an average yield of 44 bushels an acre, 8.7% above the five-year average. Manitoba's average yield was 42.5 bushels an acre, accounting for 16.5% of Canadian canola production. While oil content was decent over much of Saskatchewan and Alberta in the 43 to 44% range, the numbers were poor in drier regions of the prairies. Veronique Barthay is with the Canadian Grain Commission. We're still higher than normal in temperature. We're still low in moisture. But I kind of look at the distribution on the oil content. If you look at the southwest of Saskatchewan, this is where you find the lowest oil content of from everywhere for the average. And the second one is actually the south of Alberta. There were no chlorophyll issues anywhere on the prairies, due in part to the extended good harvest weather in September and even into October. The most degrading factor actually was not green seed, was oxidized seed, orange seed, brown seed. And that's probably related to the stress and the lack of moisture and the heat stress that the seed had. We saw some of it also in Manitoba, and that's not related to heat, that was related to too much moisture. There were also some geopolitical discussions regarding the European Union's current views on environmental regulations for agriculture. Lynn Fortin is the Deputy Director, Science and Technology Branch with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. 
invest in innovation, including the reduction in the dependency on, on gas and fuel inputs, as well as reducing fertilizer and pesticides. That one stays, in, stays there, folks. Um, and then a big emphasis on circular economy, bioproducts, biofuels, reduction in food waste. And uh, they've recently sort of renewed the emphasis on their uh, renewed protein strategy, which is a bit reflective of their, their little feed crisis that resulted um, after the, the Ukraine situation. Canola Week activities continued today in Saskatoon. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney. Brought to you in part by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers on The Source 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update. Bring the energy of Real Ag Radio to your next customer meeting or conference. From your stage, we'll record an episode in person to inform and provide insight on the latest in agriculture. Email advertising at realagriculture.com to learn more about this unique keynote opportunity. Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio. Let's talk about geopolitics. I'm joined right now by Jacob Shapiro. He's a partner and director of geopolitical analysis at Cognitive Investments. Jacob, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Sean. Well, you, you must be a busy guy right now because there's more geopolitical stuff happening around the world and it's having an impact on farmers and ranchers in Canada and the U.S. It's quite a busy time in trying to sort all this uh, well, chaos out, I guess we'll describe it. I think we should probably start with Russia and the war in Ukraine. Uh, I remember in that first week, I remember hearing, uh, I, I believe it was Olivier Knox from the Washington Post comment that you know, th- this has like two to three years written all over it um, in terms of a length of a conflict. I-, I guess at this point, based on what we know, how what, what brings this conflict to an end? Uh, I love what the Finnish prime minister said. She was she was at Sonoma and she was asked this question. And she said, well, what ends the conflict is Russia going home. <laughs> so at the simplest level, that's what ends the conflict. Um, but to your point, and this is something, it could be a two to three year conflict. I should also tell you I've had to eat my fair share of humble pie this year because I didn't think Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And then after they invaded Ukraine, I didn't think the Ukrainians were going to be able to stand up to the Russians like they have. Uh, so in, in a sense, I'm 0 for 2 here. But if I was venturing sort of analysis for the year ahead, the thing that worries me the most is that Ukraine is winning on the battlefield. They are taking it to the Russians. And Russia's economy has been more resilient than I think most expected, but it's not going to be able to hold on forever. And there are signs that within Russia, there's also opposition to Vladimir Putin himself. So I'm not saying this is the most likely scenario, but one thing that I'm preparing for in the year ahead and a risk that I'm preparing for in the year ahead is what does it look like if Putin gets taken out? What does it look like if Russia comes apart at the scenes and we get sort of a Russian revolution scenario or even a Russian trouble scenario like happened in the 1800s and you have different warlords everywhere? Um, So that's another way that the conflict could end really quickly if Russia gets exhausted and can't can't continue to fight. On the flip side, if, um, if the Americans and the Europeans stop sending weapons and support to the Ukrainians, conflict will end very quickly that way because while the Ukrainians have been incredibly valiant, incredibly brave, and incredibly skilled with the way they've attacked Russia, they aren't producing their own weapons. The United States is really sending them the bulk of the weapons that they're using. It's one of the reasons they're having success because U.S. weapons are going up against crappy Russian weapons. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of different ways it could end. If everybody digs in and keeps fighting along the axes that they're fighting on, you could have a two, three, even multiple-year conflict. Remember, this Ukraine conflict goes back to 2014. There's been a low-level war in the Donetsk and Luhansk parts of Ukraine 
I'm going back to 2014. So I can see the scenario for a two to three year conflict. I can also see scenarios on both sides where the fighting ends much sooner than expected. And it's that Russia falling apart scenario that most worries me and that would have the most impact on the world. One of the things I've been wondering about is the impact of a 23 significant recession in the G7. And, you know, depending on the depth of that, domestic pressures in countries like the United States to maybe reduce, cut off, uh, reconsider the amount of dollars that are flowing to Ukraine to assist them. Is is that something that you think is, is in play here in 23 from the Ukrainian side? I was much more worried about that um, before the U.S. midterm. The loudest voices that were starting to voice doubts about supporting Ukraine in the United States um, either didn't do well in the midterms or have gone silent since then. Um, I think helping Ukraine is one of the few things that Americans across political spectrum can agree on, and the Americans are the most important source of weapons for Ukraine. Um, there's also, I mean, there's vast caches of, of weapons that the United States you know, built uh, for the Cold War that never got used because the United States and the Soviet Union never went to battle. So in some sense, the United States is just turning out all these weapons that it has in storage. Um, so I'm not so worried about a global recession uh, leading the American electorate to um, you know, decide to withdraw support from Ukraine. I think the longer the conflict goes on, though, if the United States has to actually start building new weapons that they want to send to the Ukrainians, if they start incurring serious costs in that sense, yes, maybe you could see that. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at Real Agriculture. It's your agri-weather forecast on The Source 620 CKRM. The official 620 CKRM farm weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina, specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. Mainly sunny today, winds up to 15 kilometers per hour. The high, minus 11. The low, minus 15. Wind chill, minus 19 tonight, minus 24 overnight. Friday, mainly sunny. Wind southeast, 20. The high, minus 8. The low, minus 15. Saturday, sunny with a high, minus 8. The low, minus 11. Sunday, clearing with a high, minus 4. The low, minus 10. Monday, cloudy. High, minus 5. 30% chance of evening flurries. The low, minus 11. Tuesday, cloudy, 40% chance of flurries, the high minus 8, the low minus 12. Wednesday, cloudy, 40% chance of flurries, the high minus 11. Normal high for this date, minus 7, the normal low is minus 19. The sun rose at 846 this morning, it sets at 455 tonight. And currently, around the province, the hot spot is Maple Creek in the southwest corner at plus 2. The cold spot, and this is the cold spot for Canada, up north, Stony Rapids, Saskatchewan, at minus 37. That's the cold spot for Canada. Esteban, minus 10. Saskatoon, minus 11. Swift Current, minus 5. Weyburn, minus 14. Yorkton is minus 13. Regina, sunny and minus 14. That's 7 above Fahrenheit. Winds are from the southeast at 18. Humidity is 74%. The barometer rising, 102.2. Partly cloudy in Moose Jaw, minus 9. Winds are from the south, southeast at 8. Once again, Regina, sunny and minus 14. That's 7 Fahrenheit.
This spring, apply pre-emergent Edge Microactive Group 3 herbicide from Gowan Canada before seeding your canola, peas, or lentils. Maximize yield today and manage resistance tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Canada. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get far market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, mcdougalauctions.com. And brought to you by Patterson Liquid Systems, experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Patterson Liquid Systems, expect the best. A year in review for the 2022 Western Canadian canola crop was one of the presentations this week at Canola Week activities in Saskatoon. The presentation was made by Corey Jacob, the provincial oilseed crop specialist in Saskatchewan. There was plenty of spring moisture over much of Manitoba, eastern Saskatchewan and parts of the northern grain belt, but it was dry over much of western Saskatchewan and eastern Alberta heading into seeding. Western Saskatchewan and a good portion of Alberta were on the drier side. Definitely some reports of staggered emergence or, or emergence issues. As well, um, there were noted significant frosts, I believe, mid-May for two weeks in a row. So again, some assessment of the damage from that. And as well, quite a fair bit of flea beetle pressure. So again, assessing the damage and the, the control measures needed or receding. And moving into June... We see seeding complete in a lot of those areas that were too wet, so eastern Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and the Peace Region of Alberta. Some timely rains in in southern Alberta that did help with the moisture situation. The western part of Saskatchewan stayed quite dry. We did have a a heat wave partway through the month. And as well, the late seeded crops behind, so having some issues with that. I would probably note continued flea beetle pressure among those later crops. Except for Manitoba and parts of eastern Saskatchewan, the summer was quite dry. The dry conditions in most of Alberta and western Saskatchewan kind of persisting. As we also noted, the temperatures were quite warm for the growing season. Kind of a year of extremes where we saw extremes from drowned out to excess moisture to extremely dry conditions where we had crops pretty much being written off or producing very little yield. As well in the Manitoba crop report, quite a diverse stage of canola crops where we had crops being reported in July that were at only at the four leaf stage of their development and some that were lucky to be seeded earlier that were at 50% bloom. Again, management implications and some issues for producers with that. Also in July, continued rain in Manitoba. I, I believe the crop report stated 2022 was one of the wettest years on record for Manitoba. The harvest started very early in dry areas of West Central and Southwest Saskatchewan, while it took much longer for the crop to mature over the eastern prairies. There was quite a fair bit of heavy rain and wind that lodged a number of crops in Manitoba. So producers were dealing with some more challenging conditions um, and dealing you know, a little bit of extra management needed to help that crop along when it comes time for harvest. But the majority of crops, especially in eastern Saskatchewan and Manitoba, being behind in their growth stage, crops did come off. We didn't leave any crop over winter. Just a lot of harvest took place later on into October for those wetter areas and then of course coming off in good condition in those drier areas where they could get at harvest uh, a lot earlier. Corey Jacob is Saskatchewan's provincial oilseed specialist. He provided the 2022 canola crop overview this week at Canola Week being held in Saskatoon. After the break, Corey will run down the final production numbers from all three per- You're tuned to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today on The Source 620 CKRM. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Degelman Industries. Look to Degelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market. 
and Arcola Building Supplies. Small town lumberyard, big on service. ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com. We're back with Corey Jacob, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture Oilseed Specialist. During his presentation at Canola Week in Saskatoon this week, he went through the final production numbers for each prairie province, starting with Alberta. With Alberta, we had about 6.5 million acres seeded to canola, about a 2.5% decrease from 2021, and about a 1.1% increase from the five-year average. A 41.7 bushel acre average yield, which was 44.1% above 2021 due to that drought, and about 8.7% above the five-year average. We saw about 6 million metric tons of production, which is about 31.9% of Canada's canola production, and about 10% above the five-year average. And then it was on to Saskatchewan. We had about 11.3 million acres seeded to canola, down about 4.9% from 2021, and down about 5.3% from the five-year average. The average yield was about 37.8 bushels an acre, about 51% above the yield in 2021, again due to that drought situation, as well about 0.8% below the five-year average. We had about 9.6 million metric tons of production, which is about 50.8% of Canada's canola production, and about a 43.5% change above the 2021 production, and about 6.3% below the five-year average. And Jacob wraps up with Manitoba. We saw about 3.3 million acres seeded to canola, about 3.6% below the numbers in 2021 and about 1.3% below the five-year average. A 42.5 bushel an acre average yield, which is pretty decent given the year. I mean, that's about 30% above the yield from the previous year in 2021 and about 4.5% above the five-year average. About 3.1 million metric tons of production, which rounds out about 16.5% of Canada's canola production. And that was 25% above from 2021, and then about 3.2% change from the five-year average. That's Corey Jacob, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture Oilseed Specialist. He provided a recap of the 2022 canola crop during Canola Week this week in the Market Updates with Jim Smalley on The Source, 620 CKRM. Market Update is brought to you by Freeze Tommen Lumber. Since 1956, Freeze Tommen has been your trusted building materials supplier for every type of project. Freeze Tommen in Regina and Fort Capel. And Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your well water wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Grain prices were mixed in early trading today. Viterra prices for canola rose 1080 at 849.22. Number one red spring wheat fell $11.67 at 406.15. The rest were unchanged. Durham $496.28 per metric ton. Feed barley 352.87. Chickpeas 925.95. Flax 682.98. Lentils 752.50. Oats 254.32, yellow peas 466.27, and feed wheat 289.56. On the Minneapolis Grain Exchange, hard red spring wheat for March went down three and three quarter cents at eight dollars ninety nine cents. It's the livestock reports on the Source 620 CKRM. The Livestock Quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn Livestock at 842-4574. And now, the latest Livestock Quotes. Good afternoon. This is the Yorkton Heartland Livestock Market Report for the week of December the 7th. Good numbers here again, considering the cold weather we had beginning of the week. 
1880 in the short, 350 cows and bulls, a total of 2230 for the day. Cows and bulls selling steady with last week. D1, D2 cows, 73 to 83. Sales to 84.50. D3 cows, 63 to 73. Cows are averaging 75.75. Good bulls, 114 to 124. Sales to 128. Bulls are averaging 118. On to the pre-sort sale. These good end cattle are selling strong and active. These plain and medium type cattle selling under pressure. On the steer side, 420 pound black steers, 325. 500 pounders, 299. 575 pound steers, 290. 650 pound tan steers, 272. My favorite pen, 710 pound black steers, 257. 800 pound red black exotic steers, 247. And 850s at 237. On the heifer side, 425 red black exotic heifers, 242. 500 pound tan heifers, 238. 575 pounders, 230. 650s at 214. 710 pound heifers, 210. 780 pound heifers, 208. Had some replacement heifers here. Red black exotic heifers weighing 850 pounds at 193. Comes out to $1,650. Some big yearling heifers here. 1,075 pound yearling heifers at 182. Comes out to $1,960. And of course, my highlight of the morning, no other than my favorite pen. 710 pound tan steers top the market at 259. There was 26 steers in that package coming out to $1,838. This Friday, December the 9th, bread cow and bread heifer sale, 350 head expected for herd dispersals. 220 from the Zangles at Togo, 60 head from Dave Barron and Morley Meyer Ranch at Yorkton, 60 head from Perry Joan Paul Ranch at Kalali. Sale time at 11 o'clock on Friday. This sale will be on DLMS. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. And now the latest Saskatchewan pork prices. Amsel 8,200 hogs Wednesday. Selling in a range of 206 to $217 per CKG. Today's sales are expected to be around 7,000 head. Selling in a range of 204 to $217 per CKG. Ham's number one sows this week are down. Selling in the range of 41 to 48 cents per pound lie weight. Ham's cash hog price today is mixed and four contract prices open lower this morning. On Wednesday, the Canadian dollar is up four basis points with the daily exchange rate at 1.3640. The Canadian dollar is currently trading at 73.63 cents U.S. Looking ahead with cash prices as high as they are and a positive fundamental outlook for 2023, it is understandable producers' appetite to take protection at presently offered forward contract levels is lackluster, especially in the context of last year, which generally saw cash outperform almost all locked-in values. And while some futures contracts outperformed cash at settlement over the life of the contract, those premiums were largely unrealized as they rallied during the time of approaching expiration, which is unavailable to forward contract against. It means cash in the summer of 2022 and all periods cash from January to the fall saw the highest realized values on record. In some 2022, cash represented the highest base price producers could actually get ever for their live hogs. With this in mind, producers should keep an eye on last year's prices as a gauge. Producers should watch the market against these benchmarks, as the future is never guaranteed, and if prices once again approach the highest values ever realized, it may be a good place to think about scaling into a hedging position. Coming up, the re- This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Jim Smalley. Now the Resource Report, brought to you by Second Look Online Auction. Visit 2ndlookonlineauction.com to see what's up for bid. 
The latest Saskatchewan Petroleum and Natural Gas Public Offering this week raised $11.9 million. This is the fifth of six sales for the fiscal year, with totals reaching $46 million. The calendar year income is $52.2 million, substantially higher than last year's $9 million in revenue. Of the 136 parcels posted, 103 received acceptable bids covering 40,000 acres. The average bonus bid was $294 per acre, with the highest acceptable bid at over $14,000 per acre. The Estevan area had the most interest, with $9.6 million for 76 leases, covering 20,000 acres. The Lloydminster area also had considerable interest, with $2.2 million for 22 leases and two exploration licenses, covering 19,000 acres. The highest bonus bid on a lease was $2.3 million for a 650-acre lease west of Oxbow, awarded to Millennium land. The highest bonus bid on an exploration license was $602,000 for a 4,200-acre license west of Cutknife awarded to Metropolitan Resources. The next sale is February 7th. On the markets, the TSX has risen 64 points to 20,037. The Dow has gained 210 points to 33,807. Oil has gone up 31 cents at 72.32 a barrel. The Canadian dollar is at 73.60 cents U.S. That's the resource report. If you missed any segment of the show, tune in to the on-demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast. Brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I'm Jim Smalley. Good afternoon. You've been listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. If you missed any of today's broadcast, download the podcast now online at 620CKRM.com. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, following the 12 o'clock news on your voice for everything ag. 620 CKRM. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of edge microactive pre-emergent herbicides.